How are you this morning? All good? Well, I could have stayed back in Whangarei and just watched the cricket on the TV. Anyone stay up and watch that last night? One or two there with black eye ring, uh, rings around their eyes. Stayed up late, but come on. It's great to be able to gather around uh, God's Word, and I love coming up here because uh, I just know that every time uh, I come up here, God gives me a word specific for the church. So let's pray, shall we? So Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And we just pray this morning that God, amen, amen. Now, I know Pastor Paul was an ex-traffic policeman, so he can shut his ears now. And I just want to talk to everybody else but Paul, okay? So uh, have you ever been driving on the uh, open road and you come up to a really slow car in front of you? All right, and you, you, you know, they're, they're, just, they're just really slow and you're in a bit of a hurry. And then when you come to the passing lanes, what do they do? They speed up. How does that make you feel? All right, <clears throat> do you give them a friendly wave? Do you say, bless you? Or do you say, bless them with a brick, Lord? Or whatever. Well, our attitude is everything. Our attitude is going to determine our altitude. And I want to talk to you this morning about uh, something that every one of us has got to face. And something that most of us have a real weakness in. Uh, There are only a few things in the Bible that God says are impossible. Okay? I don't know whether you can think of them. Uh, In the Old Testament, you read that it's impossible for God to lie. All right, he always tells the truth. Uh, there is, in the New Testament, we read that no miracle, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible to God. But there's one more thing that the Bible tells us is absolutely impossible. It says that it is impossible for us not to receive an offense. In other words, every one of us are going to be offended at one time or other. Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. Turn to the person next year and say, you are going to be offended Some of us are more easily offended than others. Some of us are a little bit prickly. Um, As the senior leader of a campus, I'm a target for offence. So sometimes when I talk to people, they get offended. Then if I don't talk to people, they get offended. And so you can't really uh, win on that time, uh, in that way. Uh, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Uh, Disappointments and disasters can really just blow us away, but... What hurts the most is when people close to us let us down. I think the psalmist got it right when he said in Psalm 55, he said, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship, as we walked with the throng at the house of God. In other words, it was another church member. 
It was a person that he went and worshipped with, let him down and let him down really, really badly. And offences by those who are really close to us hurt. They cut deep. I don't think it's any surprise that the only primary school teacher, the only one whose name I can remember, was a guy by the name of Mr. Clegg, and I remember him in Standard 1 because he pulled me up by the ear and he told me that his three-year-old could write and spell better than I could. And man, for a, for a little fella, I was... <laughs> well, I couldn't write and I couldn't spell. That was the truth. But the, the reality is that offence caused me to... It was just burnt, burnt into my psyche. And the higher the expectation we have of people, the greater the perceived offence is when they let us down. And this is true, really, really true in two areas. It's true in marriage, and it's true in church. So Penny and I have been married for 43 years. And yeah, started off really great. The honeymoon was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And we came back from the honeymoon, And in about two days after we got back from the honeymoon, it was going to be my birthday. So I get back and I'm looking for all these signs of the fantastic surprise party that Penny was going to throw for me. And I was looking for presents hidden around the house and all these bits and pieces. And it comes to my birthday and there was nothing. No surprise party No, nothing. I was gutted. I thought, who have I married? What's this woman that God's brought into my life? What's going on? Now, what I didn't know is that I'm I'm from a family of three. So we always made a big thing of birthdays. Okay, we always celebrated birthdays. We had big parties. We had lots of presents, all that sort of thing. Penny, she's from a family of eight. They didn't do birthdays. They had their favorite meal, and that was it. Man, I was grumpy with her for about a month. I just gave her the cold shoulder, and uh, eventually we worked it out. Eventually, we talked about it. Eventually, we realized that, hey, we were two different people from two different cultures coming together as one and the God, and we had to learn to deal with the offenses that come up in married life. One of the things I found out really, really early in our marriage is that we're not fighting against each other, okay? Bible tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, it's against authorities, it's against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, our struggle is against the enemy, And Jesus says that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10. The enemy's goal is destruction. All right? He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. And he wants to destroy God's family, the church. His strategy is division. And his weapon is offense. Is that up there? Yeah, it is. Why don't you just say that with me? The enemy's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. His weapon 
is a fence. Offenses will happen because the enemy is trying to destroy you. He's trying to bring about division in your life. How you respond to those offenses will determine your future. A great example of this in the word is the life of Joseph, which you find from Genesis chapter 37 through to Genesis 50. It's interesting that there is more chapters of the Bible given to the story of Joseph than to any other person. And I think the reason why God spends so much time uh, getting us to read the story of Joseph is because Joseph was absolutely brilliant in the way that he handed, uh, the way that he handled offences. Uh, Joseph was the eleventh brother. Uh, sorry, was the eleventh brother, son of Jacob, who became Israel, and he was Jacob's favourite. And that really caused problems in the family. Joseph's family was so dysfunctional that when Joseph was 17 years old, his older brothers plotted to kill him. Now, siblings always have fun together. And I remember times racing after my younger brother, saying, I'm going to kill you if I catch you, you know, when he'd done something on me. But this was for real. This was for real. The, his other brothers wanted to kill him. And so when they got him alone one day, they threw him in a pit and decided how they were going to kill this boy. And as it turned out, there was a camel train coming past of people who were going to Egypt. So they decided, well, instead of killing their younger brother, what they'd do is they'd sell him as a slave into Egypt. Can you imagine how he would have felt? That's pretty hard out, eh? I mean, Joseph feared from his life. He was torn from his family. He was sold as a slave into a foreign land. And the very ones who did this to him were the ones that were supposed to love him and look after him. So he would have been going through just a whole pile of emotions. Uh, Joseph would have experienced their deep-seated hurt. Uh, he would have experienced bewilderment, confusion. Why was this happening? What happened to all the dreams that God had given him? The reality was that he was in a pit, not because of his own actions, but because of the actions of his brothers. And Joseph could not have avoided that situation. But Joseph's response to that situation was going to determine whether he would graduate from the pit to the palace. And if you read the story, you find out that Joseph eventually becomes the number two person in Egypt because God gave him some dreams and took him out of prison and released him into the palace. But it would never, ever have happened if Joseph had not stayed sweet with God. And it didn't stop there. In Egypt, it says that God was with Joseph. But then he's falsely accused of rape. He's thrown into prison. But in every situation, he stayed sweet in spirit. He didn't hold on to those offenses. 
And that's why God could bless him. And that's why God could use him to save two nations. Uh, We always get offended. We always have offenses come to us. Most offenses are unintentional. People don't mean to hurt us, but whether they do or not is not really important. It's how we respond to those offenses that's going to determine our future. Because every one of us need love, acceptance, forgiveness, security, identity, purpose. And offenses, hurts, rejection, undercut every one of those basic needs. Fewest few of us are going to ever experience the extreme offenses that Joseph went through. But when we look at Joseph's life, we recognize that no matter what people do to us, it is possible with God's help for us to transition from a pit of rejection into the palace of our dreams. He's able to do this in our lives if we stay close to him. When we're hurt, you can't run from it. You can't ignore it. You can't hide. You can't pretend that nothing's happened. And time doesn't heal hurts. When I was 13, I was playing soccer for the Auckland under-14 team rep team, and in a matter of two weeks, I strained my muscles in my groin on both sides. So it was just, I was just growing, and it was just one of those things. And there was nothing they could do, really, to speed up the healing process. I just had a little bit of uh, ultrasound from the physio, but that was it. I just had to, I just had to wait it out, and um, eventually... Uh, About four weeks later, I was back kicking a ball around. When Penny was 17, she had an abscessed appendix. It It was fortunate that the appendix didn't rupture, but in such a situation, time isn't going to heal. And in fact, delays... Uh, will just increase the level of toxins in your body uh, so that unless surgery happens straight away, the patient could die. A ruptured relationship is one of those things that time isn't going to heal. It needs intervention. And relationships are so complex. Every one of us uh, are so different. And when relationships break down, there isn't an easy formula for healing. The key, though, is to deal with each little offense which happens when you get close to people. Deal with those offenses before they become big offenses. How do you build a fence? Well, my my son's just built a um, new house and he's putting a fence around the house. You build a fence, one piece of wood at a time. One fence pile at a time. How do you climb out of a pit of a fence? And I I put the background of this is uh, actually a pit with a ladder climbing up um, into the sunlight. And the reality is you climb out of a pit of a fence one rung at a time. 
one step at a time takes you out. So I want to talk to you. I want to tell you how you can break the power of offense and rejection in your life. Because every one of us would have experienced this at one time or other. And the first thing you've got to do is you've got to recognize and receive God's love. 55 years ago, a couple of songwriters, Burt Baccarat and Hal David, wrote a song, the lyrics of which were a sort of an anthem in the 60s. And the lyrics went, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. And you know, that hasn't changed. We've got a generation growing up today that are bereft of love, that are crying out from love, that aren't receiving love. And when you're not receiving love, there is an emptiness in your soul. There is an emptiness in your spirit. There is a hole there that is so easy to be filled with offense. You wonder why so many kids are running around today and they're just angry and they're lashing out at everything. Primarily, the reason is that their hearts aren't filled with love. And so it's easy to take on offenses. Many people have accepted being unloved as their lot in life. But the foundation of our faith and our experience with God is that He loves us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. When we know we are loved, when we experience the love of God, we experience security, we experience identity, we experience purpose. And we are free to be who we've been created to be. When I first realized that God loved me and had a plan for my life, it literally changed my life on the spot. I was at Massey University at the time. And when God came into my life, it just blew me away. Absolutely blew me away to recognize that the God of the universe actually loved me. And with that, with that knowledge, it created identity and security. God loved Joseph and was with him. He was with him in the pit. He was with him as a slave. He was with him as a prisoner. And as Christians, our ultimate symbol of love is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because in Romans 5 verse 8 it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. We didn't have to get perfect before God would love us. We never earned God's love. But we were created by him and as his kids, he loves us. And he loves us no matter what we do. We can't break his love for us. The cross is the place of divine exchange. Jesus carried our sins so that we would be released and be forgiven. Jesus carried our sickness so that we could be made whole. Jesus carried our hurts and our rejection so that we wouldn't have to limp through life as an emotional cripple. 
The first step in breaking the power of offense and rejection in your life is to know and receive God's love and the work that Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross. The second thing is to recognize that our response to offense will determine our future. Feelings always follow thoughts. So, if you're driving along the motorway and you see flashing lights and a siren behind you and you look down at your speedo and you realize you're going a little bit over the speed limit, how do you feel? You feel gutted. Some of you guys are going to think, I feel like my wife's going to kill me. And you pull over. And the policeman goes flying past you. How do you feel? Woohoo! <laughs> you see, the way you think determines how you feel. Feelings always follow thoughts. So, wrong feelings, such as bitterness and resentment, are the result of wrong thoughts. A number of years ago in Whangarei, we had an um, American lady come and talk to us. Her name was Pam Stencil. And she spoke to our youth about sex. And this successful woman with a degree in clinical psychology founded an organization called Straight Talk. And she told us how she was conceived as a result of a rape. Uh, she said she'll never know who her father is. Her mother adopted her out at birth and I thought, wow, if anybody, if anybody had reason to feel rejected and hurt and dumped on, um, Pam would have. But this incredibly successful woman knows the love of God and knows that her future depends on her own responses. And she said to us, she says, if I ever met my mother, I would tell her, I would just thank her for giving me two of the most wonderful gifts possible. She said, my mother gave me life, not death. And my mother gave me a loving family. And she said, I'm just so thankful for that. And I thought, wow, that is just, that's amazing. Because so many people, when they get dumped on in life, just go all bitter and twisted. But here's a lady who had learned that God's love gives her the grace and the power to be able to work through these difficult situations and circumstances. Your response to offenses is going to determine your future. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from literally the evil one. Remember, the enemy's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. And his weapon is offense. Offense. So, pray, Lord, let me see and recognize the traps that the enemy will set in front of me. Often when I pray this prayer, I'll say, Lord, 
today, let me be so filled with your Holy Spirit and your love so that when offenses come, I won't even notice them. So that offenses will be like water off a duck's back. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with the love of God, when you know the love of your Father, you'll find that that will fill your life and offenses won't have any place within you. Offenses lead to bitterness, unforgiveness, and bitterness allows people who hurt you in the past to continue to hurt you today. In fact, in Hebrews 12 verse 15, it says, See that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. When bitterness resides within us, it affects lots and lots of people. Have you ever seen on TV that ad used to be prominent about 10 years ago, which says, secondhand smoke kills? You ever seen that one? Picture of this lady in, the, in, in, the, um, in a car, and there's a kid in the back. And she's puffing away in the front seat, and the, and the baby is sucking in her smoke in the back. Secondhand smoke kills. Well, secondhand offenses kill as well. You see, God gives each one of us grace to handle the offenses that come our way. But when you try and take on somebody else's offense, invariably, you won't have the grace for that. And so taking on somebody else's offense often results in anger and leads to bitterness and unforgiveness, and you just don't have the grace to that. So pray for people. Pray for them, but be very, very, very careful in taking on Somebody else's offense. That's, by the way, is why you see a lot of pastors' kids uh, have a real hard time uh, when they're growing up because they tend to see the offenses that come uh, against their father and they tend to take on those offenses themselves. So, pray. Uh, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart. Joseph knew God's love. He stayed sweet before God. He never sought to punish his brothers even when he had the power to do that because he loved God and had forgiven his brother. Thirdly, forgive those that have hurt and rejected you. Okay? In teaching his disciples to pray, the one thing that Jesus emphasized at the end of this prayer was Forgiveness. In Matthew 6, 14, it says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, that lack of forgiveness will result in you being a candidate for demonic torment. Penny and I visited a guy the other day who told us over and over and over again how he had trouble sleeping, how demons would attack him and everything else. And um, when I began to think and just pray into this guy's situation and what had opened the door 
to these demonic attacks. It wasn't the location of his house that had caused them, but it was interesting that the demonic attacks happened after his marriage broke up and he started to get bitter and twisted against his ex-wife. Bitterness, unforgiveness opens the door to torment. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Forgiveness is actually relinquishing your desire to see another person punished. How many would be honest here and say, hey, when, something, when somebody does something bad to you, you want to see something bad happen to them? Come on. We're all like that, aren't we? That's the reality of it. That's, that's, our, that's our basic nature. When somebody hurts us, we want to see them hurt. But that's not what Jesus wants. And that's not what Jesus empowers us to want. You see, forgiveness is relinquishing our desire to see another person punished. Bitterness grows from a desire for revenge. Forgiveness, and I need to explain this, forgiveness doesn't deal with justice. When you forgive a person, you're not saying they were right and you were wrong. It doesn't deal with the right or wrong of a situation. It doesn't deal with guilt or innocence. It's not about that at all. It doesn't mean you have to reestablish a formerly destructive relationship. When I'm talking with women who have been abused, when they come to that place of having to forgive their, their ex-partner, they don't have to get back together with that into an abusive situation or circumstances. That's not what we're talking about. Forgiveness is relinquishing, letting go of your desire to see that other person punished. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't mean acting as if nothing happened. Forgiveness doesn't speak of trust. If you forgive a person, it doesn't mean that you trust them. Forgiveness does not depend on the response of the other person. You don't, resp- you don't forgive them if they come and say sorry to you. No, that's not what Jesus asks us to do. Forgiveness says, I won't punish you or seek your punishment. One of the best ways I've found of releasing that screwed up feeling inside, that tightness, that that bitterness from a difficult offence is to start praying for the person who's offended you. All right? When you start praying for them, when you start asking God to bless them, when you start asking God to work in their life, something happens inside. And you start to see them from God's perspective rather than from your perspective. You'll never be set free in the area of hurts, offenses, rejection, until you forgive those who are responsible for it. And you may be separated by thousands of miles, or you might be separated by death. Reconciliation may not be possible, but release is always available. Forgiveness is possible with God's help. The cross gives the power to forgive us 
and set us free. Let's have the musicians come, please. The last point I have this morning, the last thing that's needed is to break the power of fence through prayer. Okay, Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. He delivers them. He delivers them. When we pray, God breaks chains of bondage and He sets people free and He brings peace where there's been pain and He replaces those hurts with His love. In 1247, there was a hospital founded in England called St. Mary of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is synonymous with uh, new birth, with miracles, with new life, with peace to the world. These are all the things that we associate with Bethlehem. But Satan's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. His weapon is offences. Two centuries after its foundation, St. Mary of Bethlehem was converted into a hospital for the insane. And those admitted were chained to the walls. They were chained to beds. They were abused. And the institution became known throughout the country for its noise and confusion and abuse. And the original name of Bethlehem was shortened to Bedlam. And that's where we get the word from. Bedlam. Bedlam. The name that is synonymous with uproar, with confusion, with pain. When Jesus healed the Gadarene demoniac who was bound by chains and living amongst the graves, it says the man was clothed in in his right mind. And Jesus wants to turn our bedlam, our confusion, our hurts, our rejection, our bondage into Bethlehem. Acceptance, new life, peace. And he does that as we allow the Prince of Peace to come into our situation and our circumstances. You see, the worst offences in our lives are not actually the offences that other people have carried against us. They're not actually the offences that we have done against other people. The worst offences that we have in our lives are the offences that we've committed against God. It's our rejection of Him It's our hard-hearted, half-hearted commitment to Him. It's our living our life our own way instead of His way 
that sets us up for all the other offences that come in and pull us down. So the very first thing that we need to do to break the power of offence in our life is to recommit our lives to Jesus Christ and to ask Him to forgive us for all the dumb stuff that we've done to Him over the years. And when we get right with God, and every person here is only a prayer away from getting their life back on track with God. When we get right with God, that enables His Holy Spirit to flow to us and through us and begin to heal and restore and take the pain out of those offenses that we've received in just doing life without Him. So I just want every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. And if, if you know that you're a person that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to, you need to get your life right with God. I want you just to put up your hand right now. I'll see that.